Welcome to Hunting for Novosparcus by Coho Creative. So what is a Novosparcus? Well, it's a wonderfully creative, unique, and memorable symbol of our mission to spark new thinking. So in every episode of this podcast, we will be hunting for Novosparcus through yet another lens. Trends, strategy, innovation, consumer understanding, and more. We'll be beating the bushes, tracking the signs, and reading the landscape to find precious new thinking that puts you in front of change, in touch with your consumer, and ahead of the competition. So let's go in search of the Novosparcus. I'm Ellen Craven, Group Strategy and Innovation Director at Coho. I have with me today Lane Rumke, who is our trend expert, and she is going to ground us in the topics we're about to discuss. So to continue our conversation about alternative food methods in urban areas and how the food industry is going to learn and grow from what we're seeing in the future, I'm going to give a quick recap about some trends that we discovered and discussed in our first episode of this series. The first trend that we are seeing and are going to be talking about is this idea of big food and how big food is now getting compared to things like big pharma. And people in general are just feeling a lot of distrust and a lot of confusion about where the food's coming from, who's growing it. And even if they're trying to make improvements with themselves and their relationships with food and the earth, they're not really sure how to do this. Another trend that we're seeing is just the growing population and that relationship with our lack of resources and how our food system is going to have to adapt to deal with those changes and specifically in urban areas where extra growth is happening, seeing how our food system is going to change because of that. So those are the overall trends that we talked about. And now we're going to get into our guest. So today we have with us two wonderful women from 80 Acres Farm, Julie Flickner, who is their grower, and Liz Warren Novick, who is their marketing and brand coordinator. So welcome, ladies. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So what we'd like to do today really, you know, is to really understand 80 Acres and how both of you kind of came to be part of this organization. Yeah. Who wants to start? I can I can go ahead. We're staring passionately Liz into each other's eyes. So I actually um, am a graduate, a graduate from uh, Northern Kentucky University, and I always knew that when I graduated and went into the big bad world that I wanted to do something that I was, you know, proud of every day and finding a way to support our local community. So I actually, after I graduated, um, I worked at Whole Foods Market. And then at the same time, I worked for Cincinnati Parks in Crone Conservatory, which was fantastic. And then I actually just one day got this opportunity to work for this starter up farm called 80 Acres Farms. And the rest is history from there. Great. Well, how I got involved in this I made a life change in my 50s, and I went back to school again at 53 to get my landscape design certification. And one thing led to another, actually realizing how much life is in one tablespoon of fertile soil reminded me of what I always wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> and what I wanted to do was wear real groovy clothes, <laughs> bell bottoms and love beads, nice. and I wanted to go around the world and pick up trash. And Somehow, I ended up getting my Hort degree and sustainable agriculture degree, and I've been with 80 acres now for over two years. Hydroponic growing is the only piece I didn't have. I've worked in greenhouses. I've worked on soil farms, but I didn't have the hydroponic piece, yeah. and I just kind of landed in, landed in it. 
So that's so, sort of how it happened. So tell us about 80 Acres Farms. We see your logo all over the place, especially in Cincinnati. Oh, good. Well, that makes me happy to hear. Yeah. So 80 Acres Farms is about four years old. I've actually been with the company for a little bit over a year now, and it's probably one of the best places I've ever worked. The weirdest people in the best way. But <laughs> She looked at Julie when she yeah, said that. I did, yes. <laughs> But um, what's really great about this company and this farm is, you know, we're we're trying to find new ways to advance, you know, in sustainability and just kind of finding ways to be, you know, open and open door policy with our community. So we actually use 97% less water than traditional farming. And how we do that is we actually have these supply tanks of water. And in those supply tanks, we actually mix all the nutrients that plants need. About three to four times a day, that water is going to pump through our, our vertical beds. And whatever the plants don't uptake, they'll actually transpire and we'll capture that transpiration, turn it back into a liquid with the nutrients. And we're able to constantly be mindful about our water and our nutrients that we're using. So that's how we're actually able to recycle our water and use 97% less of it. And also what's amazing is you guys might be wondering how we got our name. So 80 Acres Farms is based off of our, our legacy farm in Cincinnati. So in a 7,200 square foot space, we're able to produce 80 acres worth of produce. Oh, <laughs> that's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Essentially a quarter acre. We can grow on a quarter acre in one year what it would take 80 acres to grow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. amazing. All right. And that's because we control everything about that plant. Mm -hmm. So Julie, you were speaking before we started and you were kind of telling us who the two founders of this organization were and how they came to create 80 Acres Farms. Would you mind retelling that? Oh, no, not at all. Um, Mike Zeltkin and Tisha Livingston are founders and they've been in big food for a long time. They're combined in excuse me, their combined experience. They've got over 50 years in this industry and you know, Mike's been in top executive management with ConAgra, Bumblebee Foods, Advanced PR Frozen Foods, Sager Foods. Tish has been running food manufacturing plants. And one of the things the two did as a team is that they would go in and help food companies get out of bankruptcy. And they were working for a company that did sweet potatoes, canned sweet potatoes. And the company was in bankruptcy. There'd been a big lawsuit because they had over-fertilized their fields, and it had leaked into the water stream. And when they were washing all the sweet potatoes, any kind of nutrients left on those sweet potatoes got washed off and went back into the water supply system. And they had to go, as part of their job, they had to go and meet with the farmers that grew it who weren't getting paid, okay? And they ended up building relationships with these farmers and talking to them about their business. Yeah. And the farmers kept telling them the same thing, is that, you know, this is really hard. We don't want our kids to go into this. We, we're either in a drought, we've got too much rain, or there's too much pest pressure because of all the pesticides and fungicides and herbicides that are used on these fields. Like the weeds have, and the, the bugs have become resistant to the chemicals. And so we're constantly fighting all these elements. And they started to realize that we need to change our food system. And they were first interested in greenhouses and they started traveling around the world to like Japan and some of these other countries where they were doing indoor controlled environmental farming. And one thing led to another and they took all their savings in retirement and started 80 Acres four years ago. And you were saying also controlled environmental farming is what most people might know as vertical farming? They, yeah, they, it's, it's indoor vertical farming, but the, the formal name 
would be a, a CEA, Controlled Environmental Agriculture, Great. is how they refer to it in the industry. And it's only about eight to 10 years old. But with Mike and Tish, they realized that there were three things that needed to happen. They had to learn how to grow in order to meet the demands of our world, like 9.8 billion people right. are going to be on this planet. Mm-hmm. We don't have any more arable land, fertile land left. It's all farm for commodities, soybean, corn, and, and wheat. And if it's not being farmed for that, it's livestock. Yep is grazing yeah. on it. it. We're not even, and this isn't even food for us. Right. A lot of the commodities are going <laughs> right. to that livestock. Yeah. yeah. And we needed to grow differently. We needed to change our, we needed to completely redo our supply chain. And I can talk about that if you want. That would be great. And we need to merchandise differently. If you look at supply chain, the lettuce that you buy at the grocery store has 2,000 miles on it. It's all grown out in Uma, Arizona, or it's grown in Imperial Valley, California. Yeah. And all of those varieties, your tomatoes, all of that, tomato is a perfect example of it. The varieties of crops that you eat, those seeds, what we, what we get, they are, they are chosen and grown because they, with a tomato, because they grow, the tomatoes that you get have thicker skins so they can handle the travel Travel. and the bumping around and all the different middlemen people, Mm -hmm. you know, middle people that it goes through. Mm -hmm. And they also are varieties that can be picked green and then sprayed in transit with a synthetic ethylene. And ethylene is the ripening hormone that plants put out in order to ripen it. And whenever you pick and choose qualities like that, you know, hybridizing, people do it in the floral industry all the time, you're always going to sacrifice something. So to have tomatoes that you can eat in the wintertime um, and that can travel you're going to give up something. You give up flavor. Yeah. Yeah. You give up flavor. You also give up nutrition. nutrition. So we're the only ones right now. We, we grow tomatoes inside in our single layer. We grow them up a piece of string, 15 feet up into the ceiling. And we harvest off of them for over eight months at a time. And we wait and we stress our vines um, right before when they go from vegetative into the flowering fruiting stage. Mm-hmm. We stress our vines with what, what we do with the nutrients in them, with water. And this happens in nature all the time. Oak trees will overproduce acorns, you know, when there's been a drought. Because in a plant's mind, in every human cell, human, it's to pass on your DNA, right? Yeah. That's all we think, pass on your DNA. Well, tomatoes are like that too. And so when you stress them, they go into survival mode. And so they overproduce the flower, which turns into the fruit. Okay. And, and, And it's at that point is when all of the secondary metabolites kick in. And that's when you get all the, the, the antioxidants and all of the really health beneficial elements, you know, in your food. And then the thing is when tomatoes go into that survival mode, so they're overproducing flowers, they... They want to be redder, sweeter. They, they want to be so appealing. So an animal comes and gets it and eats and it. Spreads it. And uh, then, okay. pat, yep. you know, spreads mm-hmm. it, yep. <laughs> the seeds elsewhere. And so we know that's how it works. And we play with that. We yeah. take advantage of that. And so you started to talk about supply chain. What does your guys' distribution look like within the city or beyond? Yeah. So we, we only um, travel about 50 to 100 miles out. And every crop that we harvest, we deliver within a day of harvest. 
So all of the produce that you purchase from 80 Acres Farms is going to last significantly longer than, you know, head of lettuce that traveled over 2,000 miles. Everything's packed under one roof. So in our farm, um, you're going to get to know your farmer. And really, you're only going to be the first person touching your produce because all of our farmers wear gloves throughout the entire process. So it's really incredible to see just how we're bringing back, you know, local fresh produce year round. So that the idea is like our supply chain, you have the grower, Mm -hmm. you know, the farm, and then it goes straight to the restaurant. It goes straight to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And there isn't anyone in between there. And so the vision is to be able to do these farms all over the world, not ship. So we buy old shipping containers. They're the, you know, 80 feet long, 40 feet long, eight feet wide. When we refurbish them, we repurpose these things and turn them into grow zones. So we build the container around the seed, the crop that you want to grow, because not all plants want the same pH. They don't, they need all the same 19 essential nutrients but they need it in, in, in different amounts, okay? They need certain temperature, they, all of that kind of stuff. And we designed the, the containers and the computer system that runs it based on that particular crop. So we can, I mean, we've got, we're focused on, you know, grocery retailers, the restaurants, governments contacting us because they want to make investments into this to, for food security reasons. And we have the ability to, take one of these shipping containers and drop it in Nigeria Mm -hmm. and plug it in and they can grow. We can go into Nigeria and I say Nigeria, they've got plenty of farmland around, but the city has millions of people in it. They don't have the infrastructure to get the food to the people. Yeah. Right. That's the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we can grow right there. And there's a lot of grocery people that want to be able to put a container right at their store so they can grow fresh greens. So are you already doing this? Yes. Where you're, okay. So I, I think I mentioned this to you a little bit earlier. So they've started with 80 Acres Farms, and we have partnered with two other, two other companies. And one of them is Priva, and they're a Dutch company, and they're, they specialize in climate control. They do hardware and software equipment and, you know, like trying to find the most, the opt, most optimal way to, to reuse your water. So we, okay. Or the airflow systems, the other partner in with this other company, and it's called infinite acres. I don't know if I said that it's infinite acres, um, is a company called Akato. They're based in the UK and they specialize in predictive analytics and robots. There's no grocery store. There's no like retail store. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, it sort of reminds me of like Amazon prime you know, or any of those types of delivery services. Yes. Yeah. They know what you want before you want it because they've been collecting all this data on you. They can deliver within an hour in London at rush hour. And one of the things that makes them so good at this is it's robots that are, you know, picking and packing. And that's the part that slows down in other types of environments like that. So you're saying these robots would be essentially picking and packing from the shipping container that you guys would From supply. a shipping container. The robots pick and pack. They're not from the shipping container. Right. They pick and pack from... The, f- the agriculture gro- and the food. The, from the huge grocery the store. Okay. It's okay. like a new age short circuit. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Kroger yeah. and Akato are now partners. Kroger's the largest grocery retailer in the, com- 
in the country. They're opening up a place up in Middletown. And Akato is building this huge warehouse for, you know, all the groceries. And Kroger's with them on this. And they will be the ones doing distribution. So what is your part? Our part is the technology of the shipping containers and what we do. So Priva has all of this knowledge. You know, the Dutch are the growers of the world. They have all of this knowledge on climate control systems. We've figured out how to do it. Right. And we, we want to sell that technology. We sell to other farmers around the world, to governments around the world that are looking to this type of controlled environmental agriculture as a way to create more food security as our climate changes, as our population explodes, as we, I mean, we have a very limited amount of phosphorus. Mm -hmm. What is the amount? Do you know? Well, I think less than 80 years we might run out of phosphorus. I mean, that's an issue. Right. Um, plants, ha- that's MPK. I mean, that's one of the main things that a plant has to have in order to, to survive, in order to grow. So it, it, to, to have more control over all of this kind of stuff. I mean, we're not, you can grow just about anything hydroponically, but it has to be able to, you have to be able to make a profit on it. I mean, you can grow root vegetables mm-hmm. hydroponically, but they come out looking strange. You could grow trees hydroponically. But it takes too much energy to do it in a controlled environment underneath those lights. Yeah. So that's its balance. Do you think more people are becoming or accepting of, I call them ugly produce, but that the the fruit or vegetable doesn't have to be beautiful to still taste good and have nutrients? I would hope so. I mean, well, I think <laughs> can you until people on, until yeah. people can't. You learn how to eat ugly food when you don't have enough food right. to eat. Yes, exactly. And you talk to people that have gone through, you know, like in Europe during World War II, you know, you didn't throw green beans out right. because they had brown spots on mm-hmm. them. You know, you chopped them up and put them in your stew. Yep. You, you know, you just don't waste food like that. We waste something like 40% of all the food we buy yeah. mm-hmm. gets thrown away. Yeah. 50% of the food that's grown on, in a farm field gets left in the farm field. It doesn't make wow. it because it's had some kind of pest damage on it. I mean, you can eat can eat greens that have little holes. It looks like buckshot, you know, from yep. flea beetles. I mean, there's no bug on there anymore, but I think people still get kind of strange about that. I worked for a, a community-supported agriculture group, like did harvest boxes, and I put together, I did a spreadsheet of everything that they grew that season. And they were trying to decide what crops they were going to keep for this, you know, harvest box. And one of the things people were upset about is that they didn't want us to grow corn because a current corn had worms on it. You know, there'd be a worm on this yeah. corn. And I'm like, well, this is an organic farm. Of course, you're going to find a worm <laughs> on your corn because yeah. we don't they don't use pesticides yeah. on that. Yeah. Extra protein. You know, um, people, <laughs> can, you know, so yeah. do I think it. that they're ready for that? No. And these are people that are supporting this type yes. of locally grown, yeah. you know, food, but they still want pretty food. It, how much of that is perception versus education? Hmm, that's a good question. Like, I, I need think it's it to both. be pretty because I feel better versus I really don't understand that. Like if they were it's sitting both. here and you explained what you just explained to us, what? Do well, you think? I know it. Excuse me, I know, I know it, but I still like nice food. Now, will I eat old green beans in my refrigerator? Yeah, I'll throw it in a stew. I mean, a lot of it would be education, but I don't think that people will change unless there's an 
a reason to change. There's right. no necessity mm-hmm. right. to do it. Do but you, that's just my opinion. I haven't done a study. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're yeah. here. Yeah. Your opinion. Besides Kroger, it, are there other larger companies that you're seeing starting to support your efforts or even just local food efforts that you I, think are actually starting to make an impact? I would say so. So a lot of local restaurants um, in particular that love to shop local, um, we've had a, a huge support from them. Also, Jungle Gyms, Fairfield and Eastgate, they've been gracious enough to kind of open us with, uh, welcome us in with open arms. And we have a beautiful new display there. And so we hope to kind of partner with them. Um, working with Whole many Foods. Years. Yeah, Whole Foods okay. as well. So we're yeah. at Whole Foods in Columbus, Dayton, and in Cincinnati. And then we also have Dorothy Lane Market, which is a wonderful family owned. We love that store. (laughs) I love that store. I mean, how could you go wrong with a killer brownie? I mean, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, yeah, we're getting a a lot of support from the restaurants. You know, we distribute through U.S. Foods and, you know, other food companies, Mm -hmm. you know, will pick up. And, and do it. So it's growing. I mean, we're selling out every week. We're selling everything that we're growing. That's awesome. So, and, and for us, we started, we started the Cincinnati farm, which Liz refers to as our legacy farm, which I think is awesome. I like, I think that's really cool. I wish I could take but, full credit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's kind of where that we experimented. We started, we have five other farms. There's North Carolina, Arkansas, and Alabama. And these are big food growers that have been testing different crop varieties for us and shipping containers on a very, very small scale. And when they get something and Tish and Mike like it, our our founders, um, they bring it up to Esty, the Esty farm on Esty Avenue, and we trial it there. So then we take it to the next step and then try to kill it. (laughs) Not literally, but that's where the failures happen. You know, Mike has this saying, you know, um, Torture test. Fail fast, <laughs> fail cheap, yep. and learn. Yep. You know, gain the insights from it. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And so there's been a lot of tomato plants that got killed. There was, you know, I'll tell you, trying to control the humidity inside of a grow zone mm. was a big learning curve. Mm-hmm. Because if the humidity is too high, you have these beautiful looking basil, but the plant can't get rid of all the moisture it's holding in its leaf. And then as soon as you take it out, into a less humid environment, now that plant can t- can transpire that. And it's like the leaf just melts. It's like sweating, like mm-hmm. it's wet. Uh-huh. And it just, it just doesn't hold up. So speaking about how this is kind of an industry that you have to expect to fail and to learn from, do you think that that is part of the reason why some other food companies that we know are more familiar with haven't started to adopt these kinds of methods? It's very, very expensive to do this. If you could see the amount of engineering and equipment, you know, the the, the ventilation systems. I mean, Liz kind of mentioned this before, but the way we capture all of the evaporated water from our tables, you know, that the plants grow in and the way the room is shaped with these curved walls, the way the, the way it blows, Mm -hmm. the technology that's involved in capturing that and then putting in through a condenser so that it turns back into the water droplets again. And it's recirculated, it's cleaned and recirculated. It's very expensive to do it. I hear that, but then my brain says, I've been in so many different large food companies and seeing the areas that they're manufacturing, seeing the areas that they're doing food innovation, that that they would be able to acquire those resources or that technology 
or convert um, stuff that they already have. And I don't want to say easily because it's not easy, but Mm -hmm. they would already have an infrastructure that they could alter without having to start from ground zero. Mm -hmm. Is that do you you think that do you think that over time these larger food companies will adopt these practices? Um, Do you think they're, they're do you think they're starting? They're like watching from a standpoint of how are you guys doing and. Are you, is it working? Is we're, it not working? I mean, what, what we're doing is really hot. Yeah. And we, we get paying, we get a lot of attention. And I think that they're waiting to see what happens before they start to put money into it. And the thing is, is that we're figuring it out. They don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Yes. They can, you know, they can come to us through Infinite Acres and buy that technology. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we can go in and we can run that we can run that farm those containers we can train them and we can walk away from it that's awesome okay. so um i also think for big food companies i think a lot of them are experiencing a push in the right direction uh, more people are becoming hyper aware of who's handling their food, where it comes from, what are the ingredients, what is the vision of the business and um, am i using my hard earned dollars in the right way i think i've seen changes within within packaging labels ingredients and efforts in these big food businesses. And I think that these companies became successful based on public demand and public needs. And if they continue to listen, I think they'll obtain good, good results. But my wish for big food companies would be um, for them to use their personal ethics within their everyday work to be as transparent with the public as possible and to continue to listen to each consumer and take risks. Yeah, I think that's been one of the issues. I mean, with particularly with millennials, people younger than myself, they really care about the ethics behind it. And there's this perception that big food isn't honest. Mm-hmm. Example, uh, Stonyfield yogurt, you know, was this nice little yogurt company up in New England, yeah. you know, and I used to buy, you know, all the probiotics and all yeah. this wonderful stuff about it. And I don't even know who owns them anymore, but some big food yes, person purchased them. Purchased them. Yep. And it's like, all of a sudden now it's dirty. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no transparency. You don't really know if it's the same product anymore. And for us, we're creating a whole new division. You know, you have organic, but it's not sustainable to buy strawberries from Chile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, those are mono, those, that's all monocropping. It's one crop one. in the soil and it's got plastic all over everything. That's the only way they can manage the pests oh. and the weeds. Yeah. All right. I mean, you can't keep planting the same thing over and over it's and over and over again. Yeah. And you don't really know, you don't know what kind of soil it's coming out of. It can be managed sustainably, organically, but it's not organic. I mean, it's not sustainable. It doesn't make sense to then fly it all the way, way up here. Right. Mm -hmm. We're testing strawberries now, but strawberries that have flavor. Yes. Strawberries that have, that it's not about the thick skin or you can spray them with ethylene and all of a sudden you get the taste, you get the texture Mm -hmm. of a strawberry but the flavor's not necessarily there. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily cook the same way. So I was going to ask, you talked about how you guys are kind of a whole new division. People are used to organic. They've become familiar with that word. But what efforts are you guys taking to educate people and what you're doing and kind of familiarize the benefits that could come with this kind of work? Yeah. Well, one, so I told you there's three areas. Change, change how we grow, which means we're going to have to grow inside create a new food chain, you know, how we, how we move the product and then also how we, how we merchandise. 
And that's where the big education piece comes in. And that's where Liz comes in. We do a yeah. lot of in-store. Yeah. yeah, but all of our brand ambassadors, all these stores that we just named in the area yeah. mm-hmm. that we work at, that we that we sell in, we have people in there on the weekends and at nighttime, you know, getting people to eat our basil and our tomatoes. We, at our farm here, the Legacy Farm on SD Avenue here in Cincinnati, you, when you first walk into that building, it looks like someone's house. It's this giant kitchen. It's like a really cool Airbnb. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a huge, massive kitchen. Like the, the sink area, you know, 15 people can sit around and there's this big, giant dining room table. Mm-hmm. And we bring in chefs and they, they get to taste our food and we give tours. That's how we're educating people. And then Liz and I are, are, are doing a lot more outreach, you know, trying to get in front of kids. And yes, I love to grow, but it's a, for me, it's about legacy and it's about what I'm going to leave behind for people that I will never know and right. who will never know me. And so I'm really starting to move into more of the public speaking and just getting out and because yeah. yeah. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. And I um, am too. I also think, I mean, so what Julie just said is absolutely right. And I I think we just want to, you know, continue that conversation about sustainability and healthy eating. So every month we'll have a public tour. Um, We'll go out to different speaking engagements. And with the with going to retail stores and doing demos, it's really kind of a great way to to meet face to face with the community and, and meet people that may have never, you know, tried this microgreen or a tomato. And um, sometimes I get a little bit of pushback with humor, but I, I think it's amazing when I see their reaction when they taste this when tomato. They, I was going to say when they yeah. taste it. I know. Completely and, different. And a lot of people, a lot of people are like, oh, not today. And when they walk away, I'm like, you don't know what you're missing. Exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, but it's fantastic. And it's it's you know, it's great to kind of form those quick pass by friendships. Um, but I think it really does resonate with a lot of the consumers when they actually get to taste it and kind of learn about us and see what we're doing. I and mean, we're not there to, you know, make a, a like a quick buck. We're there to, you know, become a household name and, you know, gain gain friendships and, you know, a face with the community. So the um, chefs like us. So the whole thing with us, you know, what Liz said before, we we harvest and we deliver, you know, within the day. Mm-hmm. And so we're harvesting at the peak of ripeness. Mm-hmm. I mean, our tomatoes, yes, they're vine ripened. They're not vine ripened with, you know, five of their sisters on this little package. I mean, they're vine ripened on the mother. Yeah. So they're getting all of the sugars, all the things that that they need to, to make this incredible flavor. Our microgreens, the the aromatics, the oils, all of those kinds of things. The chefs love this stuff. If you guys ever want to play a prank on a friend, I highly recommend you get the Dijon microgreens because they seem, they seem very innocent, but when you eat them, it's almost like <laughs> it's a <powerful>. strong, yeah, <laughs> but they're delicious. They're fantastic. So. And we're very interested. I mean, one thing with 80 Acres Farms, we're very interested in food as medicine. of the illnesses that people have from diabetes and heart disease and all that kind of stuff, obesity issues, uh, you know, is can be related back to food and can be healed through diet and nutritious food. Yeah. Well, and also just being, wait, this was going to be another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's just the idea of being preventative rather than treating and Mm -hmm. talk about big industries. There's a reason me being conspiracies but like they're all intertwined (laughs) and they're all gaining off of the fact that all of their industries are acting this way and Mm so if our food is healing us before we even get sick then Mm -hmm. and we really believe in food democracy so we have so I said the technology is very expensive to do this there's a lot of hobby people that are that can do it on a small level to you know 
to restaurants and things in their community and stuff, but to be able to scale it nationally, to be able to scale it globally. I mean, that's what our vision that's, is. That's yeah. impressive. That's impressive. Okay. And so with our technology, so we can go into Nigeria and, you know, plug in a container. Their labor's cheap. Two most expensive things. And this is the energy, the lights that it takes mm-hmm. to grow and labor. And, but they have inexpensive labor. So they can still do the container the way that we have to work in order to be scalable commercially. We have to innovate with our technology and use robotics. So we, I told you, we, so we have the farm here, our legacy farm where we experiment. Then the next step is to take it up to our two farms up in Hamilton, Ohio. And one of them is it's, it's 10,000 square feet. It's, it's 10 containers underneath you know, a, a warehouse that was built around it. That's where all of our, our, our lettuce comes out of that. I mean, a lot of lettuce mm-hmm. and we're selling out every week and there's a robot that does what I do. It takes in all the heavy trays and tables in and out of the containers which is very labor intensive. I wish people could see Julie's dance moves right now. <laughs> I'm demonstrating She's, she's doing Zumba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a robot that does that. So now when you look at Norway, Norway's talking to us. They're interested in containers. That's actually impressive. Okay. Norway's talking to us, but their labor is super expensive there. I mean, they're yep. super expensive, but that's where you put the container in, get the container farm with the robot you know, to, to offset that we right. have the ability to, to work our technology to a farmers, you know, growers, a country specific needs. Mm-hmm. And it's all about a balance too. I mean, we still have such a large team of, of human farmers. And then we also have like a large team of engineers that are helping program this robot. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to see how we've advanced. You still need growers, right? Mm-hmm. You still need someone that can look at the computer and say, oh my gosh, my pH is off. Mm-hmm. You have to have the right pH because Every plant has a sweet spot. Our water here in Cincinnati is 8.8 pH. Most of our plants grow at like 5.8 or lower. You've got you've to drop that. Mm-hmm. And will be, otherwise, they can't, they can't take the nutrients are available, but they can't get it. That's They're why locked my out. tomatoes won't grow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was sun. Yeah. <laughs> Lack of sun. So you do a soil <laughs> test to see what your soil is. Yep. And usually you're going to have to make some adjustments on your water. I mean, tomatoes, it could be something like that. It's me. But, the, you know, most people, when they see plants oh, struggling, oh. you know, they just dump more fertilizer right. on it. Yeah. And the problem isn't that the, the, fertilize, the, the nutrients aren't there. It's that they, they can't absorb it. Mm. And then you'll see deficiencies. Well, you're not alone. I ironically have a light green thumb. So it's kind of <laughs> a light I used green to have thumb. a green thumb. It's my house. Oh. I, I get very little sun. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, tomatoes are sun like hungry. Sun. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, we grow most of our stuff at night. Our lights are on at night when there's less pressure on the electrical grid. Oh, interesting. And our, our lights, they're all, they're LEDs. You can't buy them on the market. They were designed specifically for us through Philips Lights, Great. which is another that Dutch makes, company. Yeah. And all of our electric, we're trying, you know, we're buying through renewable sources, you know, and then in our Hamilton, two farms in Hamilton, or there's almost three, because we're doing a 70,000 70, acre farm up there. Wow. And that's in the process. And, and the technology continues to advance. All right. You learn from yep, each new farm, keep, yeah, right? That's not going to stop. Um, 
uh, I'm blanking on what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I just to hop in there too. Um, so we're three, two of our farms currently, or soon to be three, is up in the city of Hamilton. And uh, I'm just in awe to see how these communities have just kind of welcomed, welcomed us in. So the city of Hamilton, um, city of Cincinnati, and Spring Grove Village, where Legacy right. Farm is located. It's just amazing. I know what I was going to say. Their their electrical grid is hydropowered from the Great Miami River. Oh, nice! All right, so those are the kinds of things that we're yep, that we're trying to do, yep. and trying to think in terms of food democracy, so that it's not just people that can spend a lot of money. We, as the technology gets, as we advance, we can lower the price. Mm-hmm. That's so, great. Yeah, I and people impressed. are demanding; they want fresh leafy greens all year round. Well, yes. sure. Yeah. And the stuff coming from California has lost 45% of its nutritional value before it even gets here, before yeah. it even hits the grocery store. And then when you buy it and take it home, how long does it last in your refrigerator? Not long. Not Couple long at days. all. And then it never tastes good. Right. Well, that, <laughs> we want our customers to be able to enjoy the, the whole thing of lettuce that they buy. Yeah. Yeah. We want them to know that every time they get our stuff, it's a repeat experience. That it's that consistent, that good. And I've had our lettuce like well surpass oh, yeah. me over a month. Like it's, it's right. insane. Nice. But, yeah. So we don't, we don't sell seconds. So anything that doesn't fall with, you know, if we have lettuce that we didn't sell, if we don't take a bag of it home, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love about our company. We donate it. So I, have you ever heard of La Soup? Yes. yes. Okay. We donate. There's I can't tell you how many, oh, how many mm-hmm. thousands of pounds of food that we donate to Susie at La Soup. That's great. To, and to feed she's kids here. just exploded. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like I've been watching the progression. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so, and then there's what, I'm not the only grower. Just, you said yes. the grower. She is the grower. Though. <laughs> I'm the grower today. <laughs> Our tomato grower, Alex, he has this passion for reptiles and geckos and tortoises and all that kind of stuff. There's a tortoise, like a reptile rescue up in Westchester. And he takes, he takes stuff up there oh, that's great. and nice. donates it. Donates it. You know? That's fun. I'm sure they love that. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Great quality Spoiled. lettuce. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, and then the other thing with the growers, I mean, because we, we, there, there are no composters here to send any of our bio waste. Yeah. My for dad. composting. <laughs> My dad. Oh, nice. Alan's well, not the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of us, I mean, I have, a, I have a, a garden. It's not a vegetable garden anymore, but we take a lot of that stuff home and we, we let it just biodegrade yeah. naturally on the beds or we compost yep. ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, sustainability is a spectrum. And if you're, you got to get on the spectrum. So my dad's on the spectrum. He does recycle his beer cans. He's there. He's on it. He's on the spectrum. I'll send my dad to your dad's house. It'll be all different in a a week. But you can also drive yourself crazy thinking, oh my God, all right, this is plastic packaging and I can't recycle this. What am I going to do? Or, you know. Well, that's why it's so important for people like you guys who are making changes on a bigger scale so that when individuals are living their day-to-day life, they're faced less with those Mm -hmm. bigger bigger questions and choices that don't have right answers. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. <laughs> well, it's, it's a process, you know, we, we, when we can do it, you know, when the product's there, we're going to switch right yeah. right now. It's not there. Yeah. It's just not happening. And as soon as something comes along, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm working with, you know, 30 and under down there and these young adults, they, they, 
They care about the environment. They care about working for companies and that are ethical and they want to work and have a purpose. They want to do something bigger. So Alex, the tomato grower, has a biology and communication degree. One of our basil growers has a degree in zoology. I have a, my, my, my first degree is in communication. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> Same with Liz. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, I don't have any more questions. No, Do you? I, I think this that was, was fabulous. wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you. You are both very knowledgeable. Yeah. And this is a phenomenal organization. And I, I mean, I, having worked in large corporations to see the fact that you've started very small with a lot of in good intentions, but have been able to use technology to actually keep keep those good intentions mm-hmm. intact and deliver a fabulous product, but now mm-hmm. looking at how to do it globally. Mm-hmm. And it's that to me is like the magic, you know, combination. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank I you mean, so they're, much. They're pulling on, I mean, the, the engineers that we have, Mike and Tish have worked with at these yeah. other companies. Yep. You know, they're bringing in all these incredibly bright and experienced people in. And they got one of the, one of our head engineers was already retired. He's like, okay, I'll come and do it, but I don't want to manage anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done with that. (laughs) That's fair. And yeah, it's, you got to come and see it. But this is the other thing just to, just to point out. One of the things that makes this work, we can grow so much faster. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not only controlling the lights and the humidity and the nutrients and stuff. I mean, all of that comes together so that a head of lettuce, like our head lettuce that we sell, it takes uh, 55 days to grow that in the field. We do it in 30. Wow. Um, basil, 77 days in the field. We do it in 30. My microgreens, I turn every seven days. It's that fast. Nice. Technology. Science. Mm-hmm. It's, te- it's, it's, it's <laughs> technology. Yeah. Yeah. Technology yeah. enabling nature. Exactly. Biomimicry. Bi- yeah. Yes. That is. Yes. <laughs> you are correct. Yep. Well, Julie Flickner, thank you so much. You're and I, I'm going to say... Liz Warren Novick. I keep wanting to say Novak. Well, you know what? That's I know fair. So many Novaks is driving me crazy. My mom and dad cursed me with the hyphenated name. So, <laughs> oh, so this is a married name? No, no, it's not. Oh, I, was I um, say. hello, guys. Well, actually, no, I have a boyfriend. I can't say, hey, I'm single. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a call from Mikey later. He'll. Yeah. Yeah. You, did, you did what? Yeah. <laughs> so, eighty acres farms. If um, people want to reach out and and get more information from you guys, what would be the best way? Go online, and you find our numbers. Everything you have to yeah. go to eighty acres farms. You can read all these articles they've written on us. I mean, we were just on NPR. Yeah, like yeah. Last I heard. Week. We heard. We heard, and we were like. We thought of this three months ago. <laughs> Darn. I love um, But I, I, I encourage people to visit our website um, and then just follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, just 80 Acres Farms. We, we put up recipes. Oh, awesome. Um, we show all this great food that, you know, restaurants around here are cooking with. Yummy. Yeah. Awesome. Now you guys have to come and tour. Yes, yes. we do. <laughs> I want to. Yeah. And then you can sample. Yes. And you'll see us again. Be, so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I run the three shipping containers. There's okay. two, two big grow zones inside. One's a multi-layer, which is what you would envision as um, vertical farming. Yep. Okay. And that's where all the basil and some of our herbs come out of that. Okay. And then we have a single layer, which is the tomatoes. And then we have the three shipping containers. So one has, I grow parsley and dill in one. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, I grow arugula and a kale mix for a salad that yep. we yeah. do. And then the other one is all microgreens. Okay. Awesome. So I've got some great people to help me out. Yeah. 
Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a blast. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. If hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative. 